Hey guys, and welcome to another video in our introduction to sports card investing series. Uh, today we're going to be looking at applying a DFS mindset to sports card investing. But before we do that, I'd like to remind you about a promo we're offering where if you get a subscription today to sportscardinvestor.com using the promo code GRINDERS, you're going to get 20% off your first payment for all plans. So joining me today are three of the sharpest minds in sports card industry. Uh, the first is Jeff Wilson, who runs sportscardinvestor.com. And, uh, and he's created a great market movers tool, which can help you with finding value in the sports card market. Uh, Jeff, would you like to uh, say a little bit more about your site? Yeah, sure. Uh, put together sportscardinvestor.com uh, for helpful articles, videos uh, to help people who are getting into sports card investing. And there's been a lot of interest from daily fantasy sports players who are, you know, seeing sports card investing as a, a new avenue to potentially profit from the sports world. Um, and obviously, we're going to be talking about some of that today. Awesome. And uh, next, we have uh, Brennan Ruby uh, of playernumbers.com. Uh, Brennan, can you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, in, in DFS in particular? Sure. Yeah. So I have played DFS for over eight years. I created content on YouTube under uh, Daily Fantasy Sports Advisor. And uh, recently, my wife and I welcomed our son into this world, and I realized that DFS was uh, a little bit too time consuming, uh, especially if I wanted to give the amount of time and effort uh, there that I needed to. And so I uh, transitioned in the in the middle part of 2019 into sports card investing because it was a great uh, it was a great substitute uh, that gave me the same sort of thrill of of supporting and investing in players that I like, while also giving me a little bit more freedom and flexibility around the timing and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that's my transition in, and uh, I can say that it's been a, a very enjoyable experience so far. Great. And uh, next we have Mike Summer of Wax Pack Hero. Um, Mike, can you give us a little bit about your uh, background, particularly in uh, DFS? Sure. Yeah. So I started playing DFS in 2012 and joined up as a member of Roto Grinders around that same time. Um, over the next several years, I got more and more into it, started posting some blogs on the community blog program that led to me starting to be able to um, write some articles for RG. And for several years, I was the, the one behind the scenes writing the kicker and defense analytics articles I'm helping people identify those two uh, favorite positions that everybody loved to pick. And so got a chance to write uh, for RG for several years. Um, but along the way, I had also been a card collector and collected as a kid, was not as active for a period of time. But as I got back into the hobby in 2015, I decided in addition to my own personal collection, I wanted to buy and sell and and flip some cards and and try to make a little money at buying and selling cards. And that's something that I've had some success with over the last few years. And so I started my website, waxpackhero.com, and my podcast, uh, the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, so that I could share some of what I learned along the way and, and help everyone celebrate both the, the hobby and the business sides of collecting. Great. And uh, if you're looking at the DFS how to play DFS, a lot of it is being able to find value and being able to buy players that you think are on the verge of breaking out or about to have a, a great game or, or, or whatnot. And investing is a lot the same, a lot, a lot of the same instincts. Being able to determine the players that might be up for a big season or, or 
uh, might be up for a big stretch of their season. So you can, you can flip cards or you can invest long-term. Uh, Brennan, why don't you talk a little bit about how different aspects of playing DFS can, can help you out with your, your sports card investing mindset. Sure. Yeah. So if you think about the the basic concept of daily fantasy sports, uh, the site, whether it be DraftKings or FanDuel, gives you a price for a player on a certain night. And you have to decide, is that person worth investing in or not? Um, it's the same thing in sport, the sports card investment industry as well. Uh, however, the sites aren't determining what the price is for that player. It's, it's eBay. It's the market. It's everyone else buying and selling. And so being able to look at that player's situation, uh, the prices that the market has given them, you can decide, is it worth investing in that player or is it not? Um, now, the challenging part about it is uh, Daily Fantasy Sports gives you uh, typically a, a budget or a salary cap that you have to spend. You have certain positions that you have to fill. In the sports cards industry, you get free reign to choose what players you want, um, how much you want to spend, how much uh, you know you think a player is worth. And so being able to value a player, in this case, it's a player's card uh, for a given set, a different rarity, uh, a given rarity, um, that's the, the key of sports card investing. And a lot of the same principles apply in, in valuing that player in that given context uh, that you're looking at. Yeah, yeah Mike, I think yeah. along... I was going to say, I think along those same lines, you know, you talked about how there there's different prices for a player on a different DFS site. And I think um, in sports cards, you know, there's, there's something similar, you know, in DFS, a player might be a must play on one site, but on another site, we may not even touch them based on, on how they're priced. There's a discrepancy between those two sites In sports cards. We sometimes have a similar situation. It's not uncommon for there to be pricing discrepancies between what you can purchase a card for on some of the different online retailers and the different online platforms. And sometimes there can even be a discrepancy for what you can buy a card for in person at a card shop or a card show and what it will sell for online. And so having knowledge and having access of what the, the true market price is and the market trends on particular cards can help you identify some of those potential arbitrage or mispricings that you might find on one platform over another. And so I think that's one of those things that you want to keep in mind and you want to keep on the forefront of your, of your research when you're thinking about buying sports cards is what's the market price and that, that all of these various places that I can buy cards, is that card priced right or is it underpriced or is it overpriced? And so um, identifying those, those value opportunities is, is key. Yeah, one, one thing that I noticed is if you look up a high-end card like National Treasures, the best players can, can go for five figures to six figures in, in that brand of cards. One thing that I've liked to do lately is search eBay for guys that I don't think have fully broken out yet. I'm a football fan, so I look up mostly guys like Cortland Sutton, uh, DJ Shark, uh, guys like that that are still relatively affordable in the National Treasures brand uh, compared to some of the other superstars. Because if you can if you can buy a Cortland Sutton card autographed with a jersey for $200 today uh, if he becomes a superstar in the next couple years like that thing could be worth like 5k to 10k um, if you if you have the patience to go the long game I guess that would be more of a, 
a cash game mentality. What, what do you think, Brennan? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, there's definitely a, an element of a GPP mentality versus a uh, cash game, uh, you know, mindset as well. Um, from a GG, uh, from a GPP perspective, uh, the more creative and, and the more, uh, the further down you go on the, the, plucking order of card sets, um, like you call out National Treasures, um, that's a very safe brand. It's got a good brand behind it. Uh, it's very sought after. It's, it's high end. Um, as you go further down, let's say you get a, uh, a Cortland Sutton uh, for, for a lesser known brand uh, that's only been out for a couple of years, it carries more risk, just like GPPs carry more risk than cash. And so I think when you come into it, if you know what fits your needs um, and, and what fits your mindset, uh, you can go very, very safe by getting the best players and the best brands, or you can go very risky by getting those unknown players uh, either in the known brands or possibly even trying to hit the next prism. We talked about prism in many of our videos being uh, the go-to card in basketball and, and football for the most part. But um, if you can pick the next one, the next brand that's going to catch fire, it doesn't matter what player you have uh, in terms of it, whether or not it's a it's an unknown prospect that breaks out or if it's a known player like LeBron James, um, you could hit big. Uh, the thing is, those carry more risk, just like GPPs carry more risk. So um, as you learn the sports card market, uh, what players and what brands are most you know, uh, what most confident, uh, that have the highest confidence of, of buyers in the market right now uh, versus what's a little bit riskier, uh, you'll be able to take more risk, which could uh, produce more reward, but it, it also could uh, backfire. So there's definitely an element of, of safety versus uh, maybe a little bit more risk reward for sure. Yeah, I think even on that same kind of GPP versus cash game mentality, there's also a, a key distinction that we should probably hit on, and that is buying single cards versus buying a sealed pack or a sealed box of cards or even a sealed case of boxes of cards. And that buying that sealed pack or that sealed box definitely aligns more with that GPP mentality. Sometimes you're going to win big and sometimes you're going to lose a lot. Um, whereas buying a, a single individual card where you've done the research, you're buying the exact card of the exact player that you want at what you should feel is a good value because you've done the research on, on what it's priced at is more of that, that cash game mindset adds a little bit more um, safety. There, there's still that risk. You never know what's going to play out, but it's definitely less risky to buy the specific card and player than you want than it would be to buy a, sealed pack of cards where you never know what exactly you're going to get inside. Jeff, you've actually spoken to that a lot in your videos uh, about buying a box of cards versus buying uh, individual cards. Do you want to, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah. I mean, from a sports card investing standpoint, your, your best idea is not to go buy a box of sealed cards and open it. Uh, because it is kind of akin to, you know, pulling a slot machine in Vegas that you're taking a risk most of the time you're going to come out on the bad side of that risk and occasionally you're going to hit the jackpot where you pull some huge card and it's worth, you know, many times over what you paid for the box. But that's not a great investing strategy. So as a sports card investor, um, the main strategy that I recommend is buying individual cards of individual players and loading up on a particular player. So if you think, uh, like, for example, this past uh, basketball offseason, one player who I was really high on was Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, I thought that I had looked at a bunch of analytics of his and I thought that he could be a breakout player this year. So I went on to eBay 
and I use my market movers data tool to understand the current market prices and conditions. And then I went out to eBay and I was able to pick up some cards that were a little bit below market value. My market movers data tool kind of indicated, hey, here are some good deals. So I bought up thousands of dollars of Shea Gilgius Alexander cards. And over the course of this NBA season, of course, at least until it was paused, uh, a lot of those cards went up three times. Uh, you know, 300% increase over the course of the season because it, he sure enough came out and was hot and a lot of people started looking at him as potentially the third best rookie in that 2018 class behind maybe Luke and Trey um, or, you know, maybe Michael Porter Jr. Although Michael Porter Jr. is another guy who um, a lot of people, uh, you know, were able to, to buy and get really good deals on him last summer. And then his cards, much like Shea Gilgis Alexander, went up a ton this past year. Um, so it's understanding, you know, understanding the market, under picking those, picking those value players, buying them individually. That's what I recommend. There is a strategy when it comes to buying boxes of cards, and that is to buy boxes of cards, but to keep them sealed and to not open them, and then to resell them as sealed boxes because the price of those, as more and more people open boxes, and then there's less supply of the boxes on the market. If the box is from a is from a, a set where there was a very valuable rookie class, like for example basketball this year, because Zion's cards have obviously gone crazy, as has John Moran and others, um, holding those boxes uh, when there becomes a short supply in the marketplace uh, becomes a very valuable way to profit from sports card investing as well. Yeah. On that note, I'll be open on this box of. Uh, <laughs> Optics uh, contenders with uh, with Don West at some point this week, and we'll be uh, we'll be putting that up on YouTube. Uh, and I think that brings us into bankroll management on what not to spend your money on <laughs> cards. And uh, Brennan, I know you uh, have a financial background. You and Jeff both, so I, I think both of you guys can speak uh, speak to this topic. Sure. Yeah. So uh, bankroll management is is definitely a buzzword inside of the DFS, and I, I think it definitely applies here. Um, before you even start to to make purchases on eBay or wherever you try to you know make purchases on, I think you should think about how much money uh, do I want to spend on sports card investing, and, and obviously that that bucket will grow uh, as your your assets gain value, much like in DFS as you win tournaments, that that bankroll will grow. Um, but I don't think you have to spend it all on one thing. You can diversify, and it's actually probably a good idea to diversify. So we've talked about uh, the cash game mentality, the GPP mentality. You don't have to go one way or the other. You could say, okay, 50% of my bankroll is going to be spent on cash game type players and investments, guys like LeBron James, guys like, uh, to a certain extent, Luca, although he still is very young, um, you know, in football, Patrick Mahomes, and in baseball, you've got Mike Trout. So you can go very safe with some of that bankroll, um, but maybe you want to do some prospecting, which in sports card investing is where you pick those players that haven't broken out like you talked about. Um, maybe 20% of your bankroll is spent on prospecting. So picking that next guy that's going to that's gonna extend past their current value um, it, by many multiples. And so, uh, it, you know, from an investing standpoint, in general, diversification is always good. And I think going in with a plan with your sports card investment bankroll uh, to diversify across maybe different sports, players, or types of investing is a, a really good strategy uh, to utilize. Jeff, would you add anything to that? 
Yeah, well, in general, one thing that's nice about sports card investing is that um, it's it's harder to go down to zero. <laughs> you know, it's like in daily fantasy sports, if you lose a tournament you're in, you can end up with zero, right? You can get nothing back from your entry fee. Whereas with sports card investing, if you pick the wrong player, the card that you bought is still going to have some value. It may not have as much value as what you paid for it, but it's still going to have some value. So your, your losses are actually somewhat limited, whereas your gains can still be pretty extreme if you, you know, buy the player who turns into the next big thing. Um, I do agree with Brennan that diversification uh, is a really good strategy when it comes to sports cards. I think that, um, I think that not, just, not in terms of just diversifying by player, but also diversifying by type of sports card investment. So for example, I like to, I, I tend to be more aggressive with my investing. So I tend to go with newer players. I tend to buy a lot of second year, third year players who I think are going to have the breakouts, much like the Shea Gilgis Alexander who already talked about. Um, but there's, but it's also healthy to mix in Hall of Famers. And it's also healthy to mix in some more veteran type players. And I do that as well. I, I'm heavily invested in Giannis. I've got a very expensive Michael Jordan card. Um, you know, so I diversify from that perspective as well. And so by having different types of investments all the way from Hall of Famers down to the hot speculative rookie that you're taking more of a risk on. And then, of course, also diversifying in terms of player within each of those types of, you know, investment categories. Um, you can end up with a very nice diversified portfolio, not unlike how you might approach investing into, let's say, the stock market where you might, you know, look for different types of stocks that represent some are higher risk, higher reward, and others are safe, long-term established companies that have been around for a long time. I like to bring that same type of mentality to sports card investing. Yeah, and Mike, your, your style is more to, uh, to buy uh, cards on the, on the cheaper end and, and, and flip those. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your bankroll management and, and your style of, uh, of sports card investing? Yeah, I think that's that's another important point to hit on, right? Is just like in DFS, there are buy-ins from a quarter up to thousands of dollars. And the same thing holds true on the sports card world. Um, there are high-end cards that you can invest in and try to make some money on, but there's also a lot of cards on the low end and the lower end as well. Personally, that's where I've found a lot of success. I love going and buying an entire collection, somebody's entire collection from Facebook or Craigslist or something like that. And then I will go through to do the work to sort, organize and list those cards. And I have a lot of success month after month flipping cards that I've bought for fractions of a penny a piece. And I turn around and sell those on some of the online platforms for a quarter or 50 cents or a dollar or $5. And so my my sunk cost is almost zero because I've purchased all of these collections with the profits from other sales. But month after month, I'm selling 500, 600, 1,000, 2,000 of these cards for a quarter or 50 cents or a dollar a piece. And that adds up over time. I'm not having that one quick win or that, that one high dollar win, but I'm having a lot of sm smaller, low risk flips that add up over time. And so it's, it's not necessarily there's a right or a wrong way. That's a way that I've found for me that I'm comfortable with and has, has proven successful for me. And so I say that just to show there are multiple approaches that one can take when it comes to trying to make money from buying and selling cards. Uh, Jeff, how do you decide uh, which, which of those higher end cards you, you want to, uh, you want to keep and which ones you want to flip? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, a simple answer might be that whenever you buy any card, you know, maybe you establish kind of a target price or a target multiple that, oh, if this card reaches this point, then I'm really happy and I want to cash out and, and, you know, take profits. That's a strategy that you can employ that keeps, that certainly keeps things simple to say like, hey, if I'm going to buy these cards, you know, for, you know, this set of cards, if any of these cards double or triple, that's a great opportunity for me to cash out. I'm just going to automatically do it. No questions asked. Um, the other approach is that obviously you can, you can try to time the market a little bit more. And, and if you see a guy go, if you see a guy double, then the question you have to ask yourself is, is, is there a pattern here that this could continue to happen? Like, is this an investment that I want to get out of? Or is this an investment I want to stick with? And just like any other type of investing, you can never time the market perfectly. The truth of the matter is you don't quite ever know. Um, but you can make your best guess based on the information that you have. There is a time value in money in sports cards. And that is, you know, talk about bankroll management. Let's say you're putting $10,000 into sports cards. Well, as soon as you buy $10,000 worth of cards, now your money is tied up. So let's say that those $10,000, let's say that one of those cards, let's say you bought, um, uh, well, a good example is uh, last summer, another guy who I was investing heavily in was Luca. So I was buying Luka Doncic, Prism Silver PSA 10. So Prism Silver being a very popular sought after card and PSA 10 meaning it was a graded, it was a graded card that was graded a gem mid 10. So I went to the National Sports Card Convention in Chicago and I bought 10 of those cards off of a dealer. I paid $520 a piece. So I paid $5,200 to buy the 10 cards. Those cards uh, went, they went all the way up to a high of about $2,000 back in uh, November. I was thinking about selling. I didn't sell out of them at $2,000. Then he got injured and they started to come back down. They went all the way back down to, I think, maybe around uh, $1,100 or $1,200, maybe all the way back down to about $1,000. Of course, at that moment, I was kind of kicking myself that I didn't sell them at $2,000 because that was a pretty good profit of buying for $520 and for, watch them all the way up to $2,000. And we're only talking less than a six-month period. But then... Uh, as we got into February and March, his cards started to go on a rise again, and those cards got all the way up to about $1,800. And at that point, I had pre-established that if the cards reached $1,800, I was going to sell out of them. So I sold all 10 cards at the $1,800 point. Um, today, those same cards are right back around about $2,000 about $2, again um, is where they're sitting today. So they continue to go up a little bit after the uh, 1800 or actually what happened was they went up to, they went up to about 1800 and then they actually dropped back down a little bit when sports got paused, but now actually in recent weeks they've climbed back up again and they're actually back about to 2000. So the market's very dynamic. You can never time it perfectly, but by me being able to sell those cards when I did and take my money back out, I now not only have the capital that I originally put into them, but I now actually have more than three X, the capital that I originally put into them. And now that allows me to turn around and invest that in other guys who I think potentially have the opportunity to have a three X return much like Luca did. Yeah. And I think, I think recent events have really shown the value of uh, diversifying your, your cash. I mean, if you're a DFS player and you're spending a hundred percent of your, your money on DFS, as opposed to diversifying in things like sports cards that are actual assets like Jeff was talking about, they don't lose uh, 100% of their value. Uh, there can be an advantage to uh, to that where you get into uncertain times and you still have assets to show for it. 
Uh, Brendan, why don't you talk about, you, you mentioned um, you had a kid recently and it kind of affected the amount of money you're able to spend on DFS. How does sports cards uh, fill that void for you? Sure. Yeah. It wasn't just money. It was time as well. Um, right. So I had to think to myself, um, you know, how do I approach this? And, and the way that I've approached this is I set aside, you know, time each week to study the markets, to, to watch things on eBay, whether it be a saved search or a watched item on eBay. And as I have the time I check and, and I, uh, you know, and I'll make purchases and decisions when I feel uh, feel I need to. The way the the reason why it fills the gap so well is because, uh, you know, all of the data, all of the research, all the analytics uh, is there. Finding value, those concepts are still there, just like in DFS. Um, but you know, if you've played in NBA DFS at least uh, for quite some time, you'll know that rosters come out uh, just. 30 minutes or whatever before uh, the game starts. So you've got to be on your phone, checking Twitter, making sure that your player's not out or if a value doesn't open up. Uh, in sports card investing, that doesn't really happen. I mean, you could be watching a you know, an auction on eBay that ends at a certain time and you might want to pay attention to that. But uh, a lot of times you can buy things just by negotiating with the best offer and you can do it on your own time. So uh, a lot of the same concepts and a lot of the same fun that I've gotten from DFS comes with sports card investing, just with a lot less of that, uh, that grind, that daily grind that can get to you over a long time, especially when you add in something like, uh, you know, a kid into your life. So that's kind of where uh, sports card investing filled that void for me. Mike, do you have anything to, to add to that? I think, you know, another thing that I think is an advantage is it's another avenue for us to tie the ability to make some money into something that we enjoy, and that's sports, and that's research, and that's digging into the data, and that's trying to uncover those hidden gems and those those senses of value. Um, and, and even to some extent, a little bit of that um, – gambler's mentality or, or that, that risk-taking ability it lets you scratch that risk-taking risk, that risk -taking, um, itch sometimes. And so uh, I think that's just one of those other advantages where buying and selling sports cards translates to some of those same things that we enjoy about DFS. For sure. And I guess for DFS players who are now thinking about getting into sports card investing – Jeff, can you lay out the landscape of what the, the future of sports cards is? Yeah, I'm very, very optimistic about the future of sports cards. The sports card market as a whole has gone up tremendously uh, over the last year, even since when I started my show. We've seen more than a doubling of the sports card market as a whole uh, since uh, last summer. Um, and so, you know, it's actually the sports cards have actually outpaced the stock market and, you know, all that type of thing. And even and even. Um, even during this sports hiatus, I honestly, I'll, I'll be honest, I expected this pause in the sports schedule to be a disaster for sports cards. And sports cards did go down for the first couple of weeks after uh, sports were paused, but then they came rallying right back up again. And I think a lot of savvy sports card investors, when they saw the sports cards start to go down, they said, okay, this is actually a really good buying opportunity because we can kind of buy them at a discount now. And all of the factors that make sports cards a really fun thing to invest in and buy and sell, those factors still exist. And people are still going to want to do this in the future. Um, it's a very addictive thing to do, much like DFS is addictive, you know, buying and selling in sports cards and the rush of bidding on items on eBay and trying to get that one card you're chasing 
and trying to get it, trying to hunt around and buying cards under market value. It's very much like a treasure hunt. Um, and then you get the cards in the mail and you check them out and they're awesome. And then you notice you're checking the values and then you notice one of the cards you bought is all of a sudden starting to go up. And then you got to make the decision about when you're going to put it up and flip it. It's very, it's a very, um, it's a very fun thing to do. And uh, for that reason, I'm very optimistic. I think more and more people are going to rediscover sports cards. A lot of people who traded them when they were kids who aren't realized, haven't realized yet that they're back and they're back in a really big way. I think those people are going to flood into the market. And I think we're going to see the overall sports card market continue to rise and be very hot uh, for at least the next few years. So I think it's, a, I think it's an exciting time uh, to be doing it. And by the way, it's, you know, even when sports is paused right now and daily fantasy sports is paused and sports gambling is paused, the sports card market, things are being bought and sold every day. It's not, and it's as hot as ever. So this in particular is a good time to dip your feet into it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Brennan, what, what do you think is in the future for sports cards? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think everything Jeff, uh, Jeff just covered is, is completely accurate. I think you're going to see more and more people get in and I think you're going to see, uh, more and more, uh, people start to take advantage of sports card investing as a way to, as a substitute for fantasy sports. Um, you know, one thing I'm interested in seeing is some of the other sports, uh, like soccer, maybe, um, does this maybe hit soccer at a later stage in hockey uh, than it does baseball and, and football and uh, basketball? And so I'm interested to see not just in, in in basketball where I focus all of my time, but what does the rest of the uh, industry look like? Because just like in DFS, um, I've played some DFS sports I never thought I'd play. I don't follow the MMA, but I've, I've you know, played DraftKings MMA before, eSports as well. And so once we start to see people dip into the water, into the sports they know, I'm curious to see if they start to venture out into other areas uh, that they might not be so comfortable in. Um, and I think that's actually a great idea as long as you do the necessary research. And so I'm wondering if we'll see that kind of effect where uh, people don't just stick to what they know. It's a gateway into uh, the market as a whole. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I always suggest starting with what you know first, you know, to get comfortable and get your feet wet. But there is expansion happening. You know, the the market in the sports card sports card industry is continuing to grow and it's growing from people like us. I think I think we all said we collected as kids, took a break and are coming back into it that is contributing to the growth of the market. You have new people who have never collected coming in that are bringing more of that business uh, mindset, that entrepreneurial mindset, the flipper mentality, that type of thing is helping fuel the market. I think you're going to have some DFS players starting to come in and help fuel the market. The international market is growing and really helping boost basketball. It's helping boost, you touched on soccer, it's, it's driving soccer card prices upward even um, even though that is one of those things that has lagged. And so I think we're in a good spot for cards to continue to appreciate. Now, does that mean every single card out there, I can blindly go buy whatever I want and expect it to increase? No, by no means is that the case. But there are plenty of good opportunities for cards that have some of that unrealized potential out there. And and that's kind of what we're going to be trying to put out content to help you identify things that you're going to enjoy buying and selling that have that unrealized potential to to make us some money. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just a reminder to our viewers to check out rotogrinders.com and look at our sports card investing section. And, and we'll be putting up regular articles and videos weekly. So 
we'll, we'll have a ton of information and getting started and trend transitioning from DFS over to sports cards. It'll be a good resource for you uh, as well as these guys' websites, um, waxpackhero.com for Mike, uh, player numbers for Brennan, and uh, of course, Jeff's uh, sportscardinvestor.com where just a reminder, we're offering uh, 20% off first payment for all plans uh, using the promo code grinders. So, Mike, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, is it too early? Uh, is it early or too late to get into the uh, the sports card market place? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that it's either too early or too late. I, I think all along the way, as with any investment, there's good opportunities and that are yet that have not yet started to rise, and there are other investments or, or other things that have already reached their, their current market value. And so I would say, from my perspective, it's a great time to get your feet wet. If you're doing your research, you're digging in, and you're finding those opportunities where the value exists. Brennan, would you like to add to that? No, I, I think that's exactly right. I think even in a scenario where we don't see this exponential growth, which could be many years down the road, there's always as as long as people are buying and selling uh, cards, uh, there's going to be opportunity, whether the market is really hot or whether it's stagnant. Um, and that's where certain concepts I'm sure we'll cover on in our content, like you know, rarity of certain cards and grading will help uh, protect you from a, a falling market. But in general, um, I think Mike is exactly right. I think that there are some good opportunities still uh, to get in as certain players and, and different opportunities, and some of them might also be late. Um, but I think overall the market uh, will continue to go up as long as there's, uh, you know, this kind of momentum behind it. And um, whereas I think before we saw it come to a halt uh, many years ago, uh, I think now might be a little bit different in terms of the Internet and, and some of the other things that the we've talked about um, earlier about what the manufacturers are doing. So I don't know that we're going to see another crash like we did. It could happen. None of us could really tell the future. Um, but I think that the market as a whole right now is different than it was back then. And I think that could be a good thing uh, for the longevity of this run. If only there was a tool that could help us identify <laughs> what some of those potential opportunities are. <laughs> Jeff, why don't you talk a little bit about market movers and how it can help yeah, so I built a data tool called Market Movers that tracks price changes in the hobby. Um, and so it tracks price changes of cards across all of the popular players and all of their popular cards. It's got uh, price movements. I'll show you a little bit here. You can go into it. And I was just looking here, like in the last 90 days, Scotty Pippen's cards are up 685%. And there's no, there's no pure, pure, more pure way of understanding that you can truly make money on this. I mean, look at this one. This one's up 1132% in 90 days. Oh, there's all of them on eBay uh, that you can go look at directly from the tool for sale, or you can go into the charting and look at, you know, what one of those cards have done. And I mean, look at that dramatic rise in price from when these cards were all the way down at $50 back in January. And these same cards are now selling for $517, the exact same card, this Scotty Pippen rookie card. Um, and so there's, you know, but you see these examples all over the sports card market every, every day, every week. Um, and it's, it's, uh, and of course, Scotty Pippen's cards have benefited from the Bulls documentary, but you see, you know, tremendous, you know, see other players as well. Like for example, Jason Tatum, 
is the third guy on this list. His cards are up 244% in the last 90 days. And this is a period of time when sports has been paused. So, um, you know, even though we haven't been able to watch sports, we can still see, you know, Jason Tatum's cards uh, go up, uh, go up like crazy. And of course, his cards were on an amazing run because he had a really, really strong February. So you saw his cards go all the way up February, all the way up in early March, then sports paused. And so we did see them come back down a bit. But now they're starting to trend back up again, up that same trajectory line, because people are excited about the NBA coming back and about, um, you know, the potential that uh, Boston could, you know, make a little bit of a playoff run this year and all that kind of stuff. And so you're seeing Guys like Jason Tatum and LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Giannis uh, and Kawhi, all of their cars are on this upwards trajectory in recent weeks as people are getting anxious for sports to come back and they're expecting to see all of those guys make deep playoff runs this year. Um, and so, you know, the, the, and in terms of, you know, what the outlook is for the market, um, while they're, you know, back, back in the 80s and the 90s when, when the market, um, you know, uh, was at its absolute heyday, and then it eventually did crash. There were more than a million cards printed of a lot of the cards. So, you know, they, there's, there's people talk about how they're, you know, the famous Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card from 1989 Upper Deck, how there were more than a million of those manufactured, a million. And today, when we're talking about, like, the hot Zion Prism card, we're talking about cards that are, are often 10,000 or less are ever printed. Or, or now maybe, because they're starting to print a little bit more, maybe we're in the low 10,000s. But think about that. Like we're talking, there used to be a million cards printed of a player. Now we're talking in the 10,000s at most. It's a huge difference. And so I have a lot of faith and optimism that we are still in the early part of this sports card boom. And that uh, that the demand that's going to continue to increase in the years ahead is going to far outweigh the supply because there really isn't that much supply compared to how the supply used to be. Um, and so that, that gives me optimism for, for where the market's heading. And it's one of the reasons why I think now is still a very good time to be investing in sports cards. Yeah, I mean, you're talking uh, tens of thousands cards. Um, some of the cards, uh, here's some Miles Sanders. This one is, they'll, they'll stamp uh, on the back how many there are in existence. This one has 149 cards in existence. So yeah, a lot, a lot of the things that they're doing today just helps, helps to increase the, the value and the longevity of, of your investment with these sports cards. Um, so from the financial guys, what, what is a good allocation if you're a DFS player and you want to diversify a little bit away from, spending a hundred percent on DFS. What's it, what's a good percentage uh, to invest in sports cards to get that tangible asset? Uh, I mean, it, it's probably, you could probably handle that on an individual basis, but in my opinion, um, I know when I was playing NBA DFS, I would set money aside in the off season to make sure I had part of my bankroll uh, for the NBA season. So I didn't blow it all on football and, and, and baseball. And so I think that if you come up with a plan um, you know, of a certain percentage of your money going towards both. Um, you can think of sports card investing almost as a investment or savings account. And uh, the DFS is going to be more like a debit account or even sometimes, um, you know, more frequently you would use your DFS account more than your, your uh, debit, uh, debit card. So um, I think it's probably on a person by person basis for me, I'm, I'm a hundred percent in sports card investing because I just can't handle the DFS grind for, for those who still can, 
Um, maybe you do 80-20 or 70-30. Or um, I would say if you're just starting in sports card investing and you've been doing DFS for a while, inch your way there. So if you want to eventually get to 50-50, start with 10, then go to 20, then go to 30. Because um, I know early on some of the first investments I made in sports card investing didn't work out how I planned it. I learned a lot of good lessons. And so I wouldn't jump in 100% right away. If you're new to this, I would uh, take a percentage, invest a little bit in, in, in lower end cards. And then as you get more confident, you can get closer to that 50-50 balance. And then uh, you might decide sports card investing is better for you and you might go further than that. But um, I would say no matter what that amount is, uh, get there in increments and, and not all at once for sure. Yeah, that's great advice. All right, guys, yeah. uh, I think we've uh, – oh, did you want to add something? Oh, I was just going to say for me, you know, I, I have a goal for myself that my card – collecting and my card buying and selling is all a self-sustaining operation for me. And so my budget at this point is whatever profit I make. And so I, I'm at a point now where I take the profits that I've made and that's what I use to, to buy and sell cards. I started out in 2016 with a hundred or $200, something like that. Um, to buy some of those initial cards and some of those initial collections. And I just continually put in the work to buy, sell, research, buy, sell, research, buy, sell, research, and have gradually ground that up into um, a, a fairly consistent month after month revenue stream that I'm then able to reinvest and put back into additional cards and gradually kind of step up the ranks and step in those step up the levels of the types of cards that I'm, I'm buying and getting into. And so, you know, I think that's something to keep in mind, figure out what your budget is of what you want to get started with and then get plugged in, start to do the research, start to learn as you go. And eventually the amount of money that you can allocate will hopefully continue to go up over time. Yeah, for sure. So, um, Brennan, why don't you tell people uh, where they can find your work and uh, the best place to find your content? Sure. Yeah. So I'm still out there on Twitter under the handle uh, the DFS advisor. So at the DFS advisor, um, that's probably the best place to reach me. Uh, PlayingNumbers.com. Uh, a buddy of mine, Kenji. And I do a lot of sports analytics related content. It's not necessarily sports card investments or, uh, you know, fantasy yet, um, but we do a lot of things around sports analytics out there. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, playingnumbers.com is where we kind of post that content uh, and, and kind of do stuff out there. And I, I just would add that uh, Brennan uh, was a contributor with the um, uh, the RG tool, uh, like over the over the NFL season, right? Uh, Brennan, what was the what was it you contributed on? Yeah, so I uh, contributed to the Slate IQ articles that we wrote throughout the NFL season. Um, <clears throat> so I would take all the data from the results database, and I would kind of deliver that to some of the the writers at RG, and they would use those in those articles. So I've been kind of working with RG for almost a year now, I believe, um, kind of behind the scenes. This is my first uh, time to shine under the lights, I guess you'd say. Great stuff. Uh, Mike, how about you? Yeah, uh, so you can follow along with me at waxpackhero.com, and um, you can also find my podcast there, uh, the Waxpack Hero Sports Card Minute, again, where I kind of 
both celebrate the, the collecting side of things as well as talk about some of the strategies that I'm using to buy and sell across different platforms, how I'm trying to identify some of the opportunities that are out there to, to make a little money. And so you can, you can check that out at waxpackhero.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the Mike summer. Awesome. And Jeff. Sure. Sportscardinvestor.com is the website and that's got all the information on uh, my membership, which as you mentioned, uh, we're doing a discount now, 20% off your first payment with promo code grinders. Um, and sportscardinvestor.com also has a lot of articles and videos and links to my YouTube. Uh, a lot of helpful information for people who are starting to get into sports card investing. All right. Great job, guys. And you can find uh, articles and videos by myself over at Sports Card Invest uh, Investment tab over on Roto-Grinders homepage. Um, so check us out and uh, keep an eye out for more content and uh, hopefully – we can get you into sports card investing.